And now a reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 17, verses 6 through 19 from the Common English Bible. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. This is because I gave them the words that you gave me, and they received them. They truly understood that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you gave me, because they are yours. Everything that is mine is yours, and everything that is yours is mine. I've been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, even as I am coming to you, holy God. Watch over them in your name, the name you gave me, that they will be one just as we are one. When I was with them, I watched over them in your name, the name you gave to me, and I kept them safe. None of them were lost except the one who was destined for destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. Now I'm coming to you, and I say these things while I'm in the world, so that they can share completely in my joy. I gave your word to them, and the world hated them, because they don't belong to this world, just as I don't belong to this world. I'm not asking that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world, just as I don't belong to this world. Make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I made myself holy on their behalf so that they also would be made holy in the truth. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Amen. You've heard of the Lord's Prayer, no doubt. But how about the prayer we just read? Some call it the high priestly prayer. I actually remember memorizing this entire prayer, and in the King James translation of the Bible as a child raised in a tradition, where this would almost certainly prove I was devout if I could pull it off. As a child wrestling with this scripture, I was eager to be able to report to God and to anyone who would ask that I'd done exactly as God had asked of me. Finally, I got it down. I could recite this whole prayer word for word and even do it with conviction. I mean, it felt kind of like I was carrying my mission around right in my heart. I felt so confident and also so worried for those heretics who didn't believe like me. You know, those wild Catholics and Methodists and Presbyterians and the like, let alone other faith traditions. But many years later, a really disturbing thing happened to me. Like startling awake from a nightmare, this disturbance forced me to reconsider this passage and my smugness. What was that disturbing moment in my life? Well, here it is. I read the books of Luke and Acts from beginning to end in one day. What? You're asking. What are you saying? That's it? You're kidding us, right? No, you heard me right. I read from Luke chapter 1 all the way through Acts chapter 28 in one sitting while I was in seminary. 
In fact, after the first time, I had to do it twice more and in the very same week. I'd never explored both books, Luke and Acts, as a two-volume record. But in this reading, Jesus' life and ministry came through so differently than the gospel according to John's very digested, almost theologically manipulated-sounding perspective. This record of Jesus' ministry felt like the story of a different person and even the start of a very different church than I'd grown up with. For example, in the record of the book of Acts, actually by chapter 9, one of those from what John calls a hateful world is converted. I mean, you thought Judas was bad, a follower who took a wrong turn. This one called Saul of Tarsus that we read about in Acts 9 was decimating the early Jesus movement all by himself. I mean, here was a man so evil that John might as well have had Jesus praying for the church's protection for just this one man. But this one so feared and despised is eventually accepted and as a second-generation apostle and given the name Paul. And then by Acts chapter 10, the Spirit is publicly twisting the Jewish sensibilities by baptizing Gentiles, you heard me, outcasts in the Jewish tradition, those who were not considered to be people of God. Prior to this, a Jewish leper was afforded more privilege and respect than a Gentile, a heathen, an unclean one. Okay, now we're talking. This whole venture seems to be going off track. In fact, by the end of Acts in chapter 28, we even have this Apostle Paul telling his Jewish peers that the good news of the reign of God, the kingdom of God, what we call the beloved community, well, it was to be given away to the Gentiles, the unclean ones. Today's gospel reading from John is a view of Jesus' ministry that stands in sharp contrast to the Luke-Acts record in a particular way. John is portraying Jesus' true followers as being the ones who both know Jesus' name and keep his words. They are vulnerable in their particular otherworldliness, especially as they are sent into a world that hates them. But the Luke-Acts continuum is really the story about the ways of the Spirit now, isn't it? And surely the Spirit knows the rules. I mean, the early followers of Jesus knew that this was a rabbi, the one they called Lord. They understood this to be a Jewish movement, certainly not a Gentile-friendly initiative. Jesus did offer appropriate charity, though as far as they could tell, he wasn't about to make this a Gentile movement. And yet, the Spirit keeps going out ahead and healing in the Luke's Act record, the Luke's Act, Acts record, restoring and inspiring non-Jews, even the unorthodox and the unclean ones, certainly not what John seems to be describing in our reading for this morning. In this record of the Spirit's initiative, there seems to be little of John's concern for the faith in a stated, static frozen in time, once delivered to their saints kind of creed of sorts, a faith concerned with its sources, its purity, its orthodoxy. Instead, the pattern seemed to go something like this. One of this motley crew, I mean Jesus' post-resurrection followers, would have had a dream 
or some kind of breakthrough revelation. They'd come together to follow the clues, and they'd come across a person or a gathering that had just witnessed what they believed was a miracle. Or, maybe, someone had had some type of conversion experience. And these new folks were quite often unlike the Jesus followers, but they'd never uh, inevitably come to respect what was going on. I mean, rather, they would inevitably come to respect what was going on. They had to honor the love, the joy, the pace, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the generosity, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control that they found present because, well, we've always known those kind of habits are something really sacred. I mean, that's the kind of evidence you just can't fake, right? They'd be working through all the logical criteria. Well, did they get this faith through an acceptable source? Were they using Jesus' name appropriately? Were they baptized by one with authority to baptize? Did they demonstrate a proper respect for the traditions? You know, the right questions, right? But they weren't getting anywhere following that line of faith or reasoning. The implementation of their theology wasn't going so well in the real world. Eventually, after muddling around with these logical questions, they'd just have to give in to the evidence that their hearts already knew, what Paul later refers to as the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. In other words, they were asked to leave behind their faith once delivered, for these reappropriations of that faith that the Spirit was out in front leading. So, what was their pattern for engaging emerging evidence to these early Christians of God's presence and activity? What was this Lucan record in the books of Luke and Acts asking me to notice? I think it would go something like this. They'd seen a roughly formed expression of God's new life emerging. They'd approach it with apprehension. Next, they'd compare this new thing they were noticing with what they'd come to know as their own idea of sacred. They'd necessarily move into a space of chaos and uncertainty because this is human nature and how we process things. They'd struggle publicly and probably privately with questions like, Can this thing be of God? Is this in keeping with what we hold dear? Would our leader approve of these things, even this thing? And then with all the appropriate befuddledness, they'd see the pieces of evidence that convinced them once again that the Spirit had bent the rules to surprise them in new ways. So they'd try wiggling out of the bind. But eventually they'd have to admit that it was the Spirit's work they were witnessing, and they'd learn to embrace it. Embracing it, they'd have their hearts enlarged in order to welcome this new expression of the sacred. And then, as they embraced these new birthings, they'd be transformed themselves. And this transformation would allow them to see what Jesus had been up to from the very beginning there on the streets of Palestine. Now, I have to tell you that this reading 
from Luke 1 through Acts 28, was radicalizing my faith at the time. I was being asked to look for the Spirit in all the wrong places. I was being asked to move from the life of strict theologies I had inherited from my tradition growing up or from my culture to a life of curiosity about where God might show up next. And instead of sniffing out the newcomers in my life for their orthodoxy, I was learning to ask them for their stories of the heart. Stories of sacred things. The stories of the Spirit surprising them with unconditional love and affection through others. Pretty soon, believe it or not, I didn't fit in in the tradition I had come to be a part of. I wasn't concerned enough about right belief and theological pedigrees. I wasn't trying hard enough to look and sound all that holy anymore. I'd found a new sense of mischievousness that wouldn't, no, let's make that, doesn't let me take myself too seriously. I now wanted the Jesus of this passage in John to pray for me as well. Maybe to keep me pure from religious communities that act like evil ones in the name of God. I wanted this Jesus to keep me safe from the evil one that I can be when I forget who I really am. I remember one day waking up, in fact, just about three years ago, now a pastor in a tradition, the United Church of Christ, that believes in the continuing revelation of God. In other words, as we put it, we believe that God is still speaking and responsible for preaching to some of you, worried about the future of our congregation at the time, all of us. Just a few folks at that time gathered for worship, wondered where our next offering would come from, in the throes of an apparent decline or at least a crossroads in the life of a congregation. And I remember reading this passage because it was a sign for us that Sunday as well, three years ago. That's how the Revised Common Lectionary works. And I remember standing up in front of, in my robe and my stole, and I remember in that moment realizing that I could finally, finally come back to Jesus' prayer as recorded by John and embrace it with my heart. It was one of those bare soul kinds of moments. All of time seemed to stand still around me. And while reading this text aloud, I heard these words almost as if someone else were reading them and I was the one doing the listening. But it was me reading these words from the pulpit right before the sermon. It almost sounded to me like what I'd imagine Aramaic, the language of Jesus and his disciples might sound like out across the hot desert sand where the hot winds snatch away pieces of it and leave other piles of sand behind still spinning. It sounded to my ears like this rugged little man was praying for me, for us, head bowed and protective over the tenderness hand protective over the tenderness of the heart that spirit so deftly uncovers. I felt like those words, once so harsh and divisive as John records them, these were now words of longing and restoration for all my own years of struggle where I was trying to come to grips with exactly what kind of person of faith and exactly what kind of pastor I would be now that I had the freedom. Thanks to some of you kind folks in the United Church of Christ to be 
whatever God wanted me to be. I don't remember all the details about my sermon that day, but that day I became so aware what I hoped that that rabbi we called Jesus would have thought about me when he prayed that prayer, supposing he could have. Those words, hear them. While I was with them, I protected them, he said. I guarded them. And now I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete. Finally, I was breaking free from some of the baggage of the ways I had come to think about this scripture and the ways I had long been conditioned to operate, seeking to be viewed by others as faithful. I realized that I'm set apart by the truth that Jesus embodied. I wanted to be the kind of pastor and the kind of person in whom others spot the evidence list. You know, that love, joy, peace, patience, self-control that the Spirit of God produces in us. Some days it's one step forward and two steps backwards, but onward I press in hopes of bringing a few folks along on the journey with me. Same prayer, same care, same faith, but different motivation. I don't have to look faithful or try to pass someone else's theological muster. I just need to find the humility that came over me the day I heard the voice of Jesus almost pray those words for me. I wonder, my friends, if there just might be someone else listening today who could really use some relief. Relief from the striving to fit into others' expectations of you. Or maybe you're at a crossroads of some sort and you're trying to decide what kind of person or what kind of leader you're going to be for the next leg of your life or your career or your journey somehow. If you close your eyes, maybe even right now, I wonder if you could hear this other prayer, Jesus' other famous prayer, and imagine it's his voice praying these words for you. If you could hear it that way, would it change your motivation, your inspiration, or your situation? You want to try? Here goes. Close your eyes if you can safely where you are, and just listen. While I was with them, I protected them. I guarded them. And now... I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete. Thanks be to God. Amen.